Well, we are in week three of our eight-week series through the book of Exodus, Experiencing God. And I pray that every time we gather together, we would experience the power and the presence of Almighty God. We have been learning about the Israelites and how they experienced God and how they trusted in God even when it didn't make sense. Even when it seemed impossible for them, they learned to trust God. And this morning, we're going to focus on the story of the parting of the Red Sea in Exodus. Exodus chapter 14, verses 10 to 31. I'm going to invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. We have a little bit of scripture to read today, and uh, we're going to go do this together in one voice, starting Exodus 14, verse 10. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other side, so neither went near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. And the Egyptians pursued them. All Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He jammed the wheels of their chariots so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. 
Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen. The entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea, not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. Awesome. Good reading. Let's pray. Father, this morning we look to you, our deliverer. You are mighty, strong enough to save. And Father, today you are the same God. Nothing has changed. You can deliver us from COVID-19. You can deliver us from the enemies in our life. You can deliver us from all of our fears. Why? Because we're the children of the living God. We are chosen by you. We are made by you. We are set apart for a purpose and a plan. And so this morning, Father, would you raise and elevate the faith of your people to believe in a strong and a mighty God. We will not be defeated. We have already won the victory through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. The battle has been won. And so we stand now in the victory of God. Lord, lift us and encourage our faith today. Lord, this morning I need your help, Lord. I need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in order to share the word of God with your people that they may understand it and obey it. So Lord, empower me to do this task. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said, amen. You may be seated. Well, how many people are thankful for freedom this morning? I mean, I am thankful. We live in one of the most free countries in the world. I know that it might not seem like that right now in this moment of history, but we live in one of the freest countries in the world, Canada. And under Section 2 of the Freedom of Expression, under the Canadian Charter for Rights and Freedoms, everyone has the following fundamental freedoms. The freedom of thought, belief, opinion, and expression, including the freedom of the press, and other media of communication. See, most of us take this freedom for granted unless we have lived in a country with less freedom, with more restrictions, when it comes to the rule of law, security, safety, movement, civil society, and government. So imagine the feeling of being finally free. Being free after 430 years of enslavement under the Egyptians. What a day that would be for them. And the Israelites, they were at an early stage of their formation as an ethnic group of people. You see, the promise made to Abraham caused the Hebrews to flourish in a foreign land as they lived in that place called Goshen in the land of Egypt. Exodus chapter 1, verse 6 to 7 reminds us, Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died, but the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful they multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. 
And then Exodus 1.20, we see how God blessed the Hebrews when Pharaoh attempted to kill all the Hebrew boys at birth. The scripture says, so God was kind to the midwives, and the people increased and became even more numerous. And then we gather from Exodus 12, verse 37, that there were 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. This is not no small group of people. This is a lot of people. And we're talking about a population of almost 2 million people. Yet these 2 million people were living as slaves in bondage. They were part of a labor force that built the storehouse cities like Pithom and Ramses. And I think we need to put these facts in order and in context so that we can understand how miraculous the parting of the Red Sea really is. See, the event was the sealing of their freedom. It was the closing of one chapter of their life and the opening of a new chapter of their lives. And we will not understand true freedom, friends, until God sets us free. You see, you might think you live in a free country and all is well, but God sets us free. You can live in the most restricted nation, and yet it is God who sets you free. So this morning, I want us to observe three responses to God's miraculous power when he parted the Red Sea in Exodus 14, 10 to 31, and how that should shape our response to the adversity or the challenges or the battles that we see in front of us. The first thing I want you to observe today, it's really a question, what did the Israelites say? What did the Israelites say? Verses 10 to 12. The scripture says, as Pharaoh approached the Israelites, looked up. And there were the Egyptians marching after them. And they were terrified. They cried out to the Lord and they said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, Leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. As we read this portion of Scripture, we discover that the Israelites were responding by sight and not by faith. Instead of by faith and not by sight. You see, they looked up. They were visually connected to what they saw. And what they saw was that the Egyptians who had consented to their very departure were now the ones marching up behind them. And they could see the plume of dust in the far horizon created by 600 plus chariots of Egypt. And according to Exodus 13, 17, God foreknew. God foreknew a lot of things. God foreknew the behavior of the Israelites. And he specifically took them on a longer route of avoiding the Philistine territory because the scripture says if they face war, they might change their minds and they'll return back to Egypt. Lord knew. The Lord foreknew these things. See, the short way is not necessarily the best way. The long road is often the road less traveled. And regardless of what road we take, it is crucial that we follow the leading of God. God's intentions were very clear, and war was not going to be an option for the Israelites. Therefore, what real threat did the Egyptians pose on the Israelites? None whatsoever. But in addition, you see, God foreknew. God foreknew the behavior of Pharaoh and told Moses that Pharaoh would pursue them in Exodus 14, 3 to 4. The scripture says, Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them. 
But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. And so the Israelites did this. See, if God revealed to them in advance, why was this such a surprise to the Israelites? Well, to hear it is one thing, but to see it, it's another thing. See, God's goal in all of this was for his own glory to be revealed that the Egyptians would know that he is the Lord and there is no other. But I want you to notice the way the Israelites responded to the Lord and then to Moses. First, we see the Israelites, they cry out to the Lord. Now, this might seem like appropriate, a very commendable response to, uh, from a God-fearing people to the Lord. But they did not cry out to the Lord because of their great faith. They cried out to the Lord because of they, their great fear. Nevertheless, when you are in trouble, what should we do? When you or I are in trouble, we cry out to the Lord. Because His promise is that He will hear us when we cry out to Him. That those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. He says, call on me and I will answer you. That's a personal promise that he gives to all of us. Second, we see the Israelites doing something very different. Going from crying out to the Lord, they now start to insult Moses. In fact, they berated him while he was simply obeying direct orders from God. Moses, did you bring us out of Egypt to die? Moses, we should have never left Egypt. Moses, we should have never stopped serving the Egyptians. And instead of believing God for a miracle, they made light of their own misery. The commentator John McKay, he made a psychological observation in his commentary on the book of Exodus, and he says this, Though the Israelites had begun to think as those who were now servants of the Lord and not servants of Pharaoh, in times of stress, the pattern of thought into which they had previously been brainwashed reasserted themselves. See, that slave mentality was still strongly ingrained in them. And I think many of us suffer from this mindset that when we get stressed, when we start to panic, we revert to an old slave mindset. And we need to identify that stress pattern. We need to change the narrative that flows through our mind so that we can move forward into the things of God instead of going backwards. So friends, don't say what the Israelites said. Don't let those words come out of your mouth. It was better before. We should go back. We should go do something else. We should trust God. We should choose faith instead of fear. Secondly, today, what did Moses say? What did Moses say? Verse 13 to 14. And Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Catch this. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring to you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. We see Moses, he rises to the occasion of leadership. He is full of faith in his heart, and he addresses these fearful people. And he made two profound statements to encourage the Israelites to place their absolute, undivided, wholehearted trust in the Lord. Moses' first instruction to the Israelites was to stand firm, to plant their feet. These two million people were to take a stance of confidence because the Israelites didn't have to move a muscle. Their God was going to fight for them. And this way they would know that it was nothing in them, but it was everything in God that was delivering them. 
We see the same words of assurance given to King Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 17. When he faced the Ammonites and the Moabites, the scripture tells us, you will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions and what? Stand firm and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. We see the same charge given by the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Once again, the Apostle Paul, he reiterates the same idea in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to what? Stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. So the posture of deliverance is not fighting, but it's standing firm. Church, stand firm today. Moses' second instruction to the Israelites was to be still. And when we're still, we're able to look, we're able to listen, we're able to be alert for the movement of God in our midst. It's an instruction that leads to great anticipation because the Lord our God is about to show up. The Lord our God is about to manifest himself in his presence. God is about to act and it can happen at any moment, at any time. It's that quiet before the storm, before the outpouring of God's wrath upon the Egyptians. See, David the psalmist, he wrote in Psalm 37, verse 7, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways and when they carry out their wicked schemes. You see, we must be still when we face the large army before us. The sons of Korah wrote in Psalm 46, verse 10, He says, God says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. So what do we do? We must be still so that we can witness how God will exalt himself in the situation. Think about the worst scenario that you're facing in your life right now. Only you know what that is. How are you going to respond to that situation, friends? The Lord is telling you today to stand firm and to be still. That's it. That's all you need to do. That's the only step of obedience you need to take. As I was studying, I came across an interesting verse in Numbers 21, verse 14, that references an Israelite document called the Book of the Wars of the Lord. Now, while referred to in the Bible, we're not considering this an inspired book of the Bible, but it's a historical document that was unfortunately lost. We don't have it today. But this was the first of many hardships that the Israelites would face in their life as the people of God. And these records of victories were preserved by the Israelites in the, books, in the book of the war of the Lord to remind themselves that the battle in their lives belongs to the Lord. It's a track record of God's history that when you look back on the battles of your life, what God-fought victories would you record? What God-fought victories would you remember to inform your current battle, what you're facing today? Friends, if you look back in your life, you will see the hand of the Lord. You will see battle after battle after battle that he has won for you. You didn't have to fight. You needed to be still and stand still and stand firm. And God showed up in your situation. And what do we do? We record those events 
in history so that we can always look back and find inspiration and it would rally our faith so that we would believe in a God who delivers us and wins battles after battle. Friends, let's say what Moses said. Let's believe in God. Let's stand firm and let's be still and know that he's God. Third point this morning is what did the Egyptians say? It's important to see what they said as well. In verse 23 to verse 25. The Egyptians pursued them and all of Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen. They followed them into the sea. And during the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and he threw it into confusion. He jammed the wheels of their chariots so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, Let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. See, as God intervened on behalf of the Israelites, the Egyptians couldn't help but say something. God will make your enemies say something when he's fighting your battle. See, in the darkest hours of the night, the Lord manifested himself in this pillar of fire and cloud. It must have been a sight to see it, nothing like they've seen before. And he brought this confusion upon the Egyptians. It was not that they forgot where they were going. It's not that they forgot what they were doing. But they saw the power of God at work in their midst. You see, the power of God always confuses the enemy. And imagine the sight of those two walls of water and the noise of the wind. This was not just a natural phenomenon. This was the supernatural power of the hand of God intervening in their situation. The impossible became possible with God. Reading from Psalm 77, a psalm written by Asaph for Jedithan, recalling the parting of the Red Sea, verse 16 to 20, we see these words. The waters saw you. God, the waters saw you and writhed. The very depths were convulsed. The clouds poured down water. The heavens resounded with thunder. Your arrows flashed back and forth. Your thunder was heard in the whirlwind. Your lightning lit up the world. And the earth trembled and quaked. Your path led through the sea. Your way through the mighty waters. Though your footprints were not seen. And you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Isn't that beautiful? According to this psalm, the earth quaked, the water rained, the thunder sounded, and the lightning flashed. And you can imagine how the horses would have been spooked and the charioteers would have been anxious as they made their way through that Red Sea. Furthermore, the confusion increased as the wheels of the chariots got jammed, possibly by seaweed or reeds or in the mud of that ocean bed. The tension of not being able to capture the Israelites and the fear of not being able to turn back became very palpable for them. I want you to mark their words here. Let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Here's the proof. God is fighting their battle. Imagine if your enemies ran away saying those very words. The Lord is fighting for Kathy. The Lord is fighting for Kristen. The Lord is fighting for you and for me, friends. It's understandable to fight with a person or a group of people, but it is a terrifying thing to realize that you've been fighting with God himself. Because no one has ever fought a fight with God and won. We win battles with the enemy whenever we let God fight for us, and we lose battles with the enemy when we do not let God fight for us. 
Well, we know how the story ends. They never made it back to the shore. They all drowned, all those Egyptians in the Red Sea. And Egypt's loss was to be a lesson, a lesson for all the surrounding nations around them. Listen to the lyrics of Moses' debut song in Exodus 15, verses 14 to 16. The nations will hear and tremble. Anguish will grip the people of Philistia. The chiefs of Edom will be terrified, and the leaders of Moab will be seized with trembling. The people of Canaan will melt away. Terror and dread will fall on them. This is the impact of what happens when God fights for his people, and other people take note. See, the news would spread across the whole ancient Near Eastern world, and they would come to know the God of Israel who defeated Pharaoh, and two million Israelites escaped from Egypt. So friends, let our enemies say what the Egyptians said. Let them see that God is fighting for us, that there's no point in fighting this battle because greater is he who is in us than he that is in the world. So as we conclude this morning, as the worship team prepares to return, the author of Hebrews eleven twenty nine he reminds us these wor- with these words, by faith the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith. Did you catch that? By faith. The author of Hebrews credited the Israelites as people who walked by faith. And when we consider what we read in Exodus 14 and the reflection on this event, in another psalm, Psalm 106, verses 6 to 12, we see the sin of these ancestors, these people. Scripture says we have sinned, even as our ancestors did. We have done wrong and acted wickedly. When our ancestors were in Egypt, they gave no thought to your miracles. They did not remember your many kindnesses. And they rebelled by the sea, the Red Sea. Yet he saved them for his name's sake, to make his mighty power known. He rebuked the Red Sea and it dried up. And he led them through the depths as through a desert. And he saved them from the hand of the foe, from the hand of the enemy. He redeemed them. The waters covered their adversaries, and not one of them survived. And then they believed his promises and sang his praise. Only then did they believe his promises and sing his praise. So what's the answer? Is it by faith, or is it in spite of the rebellion? Well, the rebellion took place on the shore of Egypt, but their faith was crystallized the moment they arrived on the shore of the desert of Shur. See, it's easy to believe after the battle, after the miracle takes place, after the battle has been won, but can you believe even before the battle begins? That's the real question today. Will you believe that God will fight your battle? Will you believe that God will deliver you through this circumstance? When you come face to face with your Red Sea, how are you going to respond? Will you say what the Israelites said or will you say what Moses said? My prayer is that you would be a believing generation, a generation full of faith in the Lord our God, that nothing is impossible for him, that he will deliver you through your Red Sea, that he will fight the battle with your Egyptians and he will bring you through to the other side. Church, would you make Mark 9, 24 your prayer today? Because I know many of us, we believe. But the question is, when we're put to the test, do we really believe?
Scripture says in Mark 9, 24, make this your prayer. I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. There's a little bit of unbelief in all of us. But I pray that today you would be fully confident in the God you serve, that you'd be full of faith, and you'd put your trust in him for the battle that is right in front of you because it already belongs to the Lord. Let's pray.